Hey everybody, welcome to episode 53 of Junior Golf Keys. I'm your host, Matt, and I just want to thank you guys for tuning in this week. It's an exciting week. Uh, Hopefully it's off to a good start for you. It is U.S. Open week at Wingfoot, and I was just watching a little bit of that uh, this weekend as they're prepping for you know, the tournament and what looks to be a, a difficult course to come. So uh, I want to thank you guys for tuning in this week. I really appreciate it. Um, every week I'm continuing to have some really good conversations with you guys, whether it be parents or players that are reaching out, uh, having some good conversations around college recruiting, uh, just different topics when it comes to golf, like parenting and those types of things. And uh, all your guys' feedback and your continued interaction is super helpful Definitely helps me continue to uh, look for new opportunities to bring value to you guys through this podcast. So thank you very much. And uh, I would encourage you to continue to connect with me. You can connect with us at Junior Golf Keys on all the social media platforms. You can also email me at juniorgolfkeys at gmail.com. So really looking forward to connecting with you guys. And uh, if you would, if you've been listening for a while, or maybe this is your first or second episode, after you get done, if it's an episode that you like, I'd love it if you shared it. I'd also love if you go over to the podcast platform that you listen to and uh, give us a review, uh, whether it be just a star ranking or some comments. Comments are always better, definitely. I I read those. I try to, you know, really soak those in so that I can uh, gain some knowledge about what you guys are wanting to learn about. So appreciate you doing that and uh, continue to uh, encourage you to do that as well. Uh, This week, we've got a great guest in David Ford. David Ford is committed to University of North Carolina. He's a 2021 grad. He's the current number one ranked player in the Rolex AJGA rankings, and uh, he's been on a hot streak. He won the 2020 Junior Players Championship just recently, uh, won the 2020 AJGA Invitational Sedgefield, and uh, in his last six starts uh, in his AJGA tournaments, he's finished in the top 10 uh, with two wins there. So uh, really excited to have David on. We had a really, really, really good conversation and um, I appreciate him for taking the time to talk to me. Um, We found some time late one night last week uh, where we were able to jump on the phone and uh, just talk through some stuff. So we're going to talk about, you know, his playing and practice routines, Uh, We're going to talk about his recruiting process and what that decision looked like for him. We're also going to talk about, kind of dig into some of his specific tournaments. So we're going to talk a little bit about the Western Am and uh, how he bounced back from, uh, you know, his performance there with a T5 finish in the US Am stroke play, which was a a really big deal. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about sibling rivalry, which uh, is a kind of a fun topic, I think. Uh, so David is a twin brother. He has a twin brother, Max, who's uh, also a stud golfer. He's ranked number nine in the AJGA and uh, is going to play golf at University of Georgia. And, uh, you know, really going to have a good conversation around what their dynamic is like and, uh, you know, how they compete and play and practice uh, against each other. We're going to talk about the role that uh, the Ford's parents have played in, uh, you know, raising them and giving them some opportunities to uh you know, really explore the game of golf, a game that uh, both David and his brother Max love. Uh, And then David and I are going to go a little bit deeper into just some parent dynamics. Um, 
you know, David is a very mature uh, young man, and I think he's got a really good outlook on this. It sounds like he's been a really good resource for some of his friends that are maybe going through some challenging situations uh, with parent dynamics on their side. Um, and so he's going to kind of talk through some of those conversations that he's had, and we're just going to dig a little bit deeper into that. So I think it's really going to help uh, give you parents that are listening just a perspective from uh, a young man, a young player, um, you know, a son, so to speak, uh, perspective. And uh, for some of you young players out there too, I think it's going to maybe give you guys some ideas if you're feeling, uh, you know, like the, the relationship with your parents, you know, maybe isn't quite the way that you want it as it relates to, um, you know, their involvement in your golf game and, you know, kind of the role that each of you play in that. I think that uh, David's got some really good advice just based on his experience and some of the interactions that he's had with some of his peers. So um, really, really good episode. I'm excited for you guys to listen to it. But before we get into it, I do want to tell you about my partner, Golf Kicks. Uh, golf Kicks has changed the game when it comes to golf shoes. I was just up at uh, my dad's course in Ohio. I played the member guest with him this past weekend. I brought a pair of my Golf Kicks shoes with me. I wore those in the member guest, and I love them. Um, they're, they perform, and what they do is they give you the opportunity to take a regular sneaker and turn those into golf shoes with an aftermarket spike that Golf Kicks has created, and uh, they work really well. I think they uh, give you the comfort of a regular tennis shoe, but also give you the functionality of a golf shoe. And uh, I'm really happy with the product. I think you guys would be too. Uh, just want to remind you that we are doing some contests each week for uh, a pair of golf kicks. So I'm going to be raffling those off. They were kind enough to send me a few pairs of those. And so over the next couple months, every week, we're going to be doing a drawing. So uh, go over to social media, Facebook and Instagram, and you're going to be able to see how you can enter that drawing. But essentially what you're doing is you're posting your favorite episode of Junior Golf Keys. You're tagging Junior Golf Keys. You're tagging Golf Kicks. And that uh, gives you an opportunity to be entered to win a free pair of them. But no need to wait until uh, to see if you can win a pair of them. You can go over to golfkicks.com. You can purchase them there. You can use the code JGK20, like junior golf keys, JGK20. And they will give you 20% off your order today. So super excited uh, to have Golf Kicks as a partner. And um, if I were you guys, I'd definitely take advantage of the offer that they're putting out there for you. I think that... Uh, it's a great way to bring some flavor and functionality to the golf course. So uh, really looking forward to this episode. You guys sit tight. I'll be by, right back with my interview with David Ford. All right, everybody, welcome back to this week's episode of Junior Golf Keys. Um, excited. I've got a great guest for us this week and David Ford. Uh, who recently won the Junior Players Championship, and I've got David on the line with me today. What's happening, man? How's it going? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I appreciate you doing this with me. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, as we were kind of talking about this show, really the main goal with it is to provide value to, you know, some of the young players that are out there and some of their families, uh, you know, as they're trying to just navigate their junior golf journey. So, um, super interested in your story. You've obviously had a lot of success, um, and kind of want to dive into some of that stuff, but can you just kind of start off and give the audience a little bit of context and tell us how you got introduced to the game of golf? Yeah. Um, I played roller hockey growing up more than I did golf. Um, 
but my dad was always a big golfer. He won the club championship like two or three times. Um, so he always, he always had golf in his life, uh, even growing up. So I kind of stopped playing hockey around 12 or 13 and got more into golf. Um, and then got serious about golf at around age 14. And I kind of fed off of him, uh, of my dad and he introduced me to the game. Um, and then I've kind of just taken it from there and haven't stopped really. Yeah. Um, do you kind of remember like the first introduction you had? Was it, you know, younger than obviously when you kind of converted over playing, uh, you know, full time, but like, can you kind of think back to like what your first experiences were like on the golf course as just a young player getting introduced? Um, yeah, I know. I, I know I liked hitting range balls more than I liked putting. Um, okay. I've kind of, I've kind of always been that way. Putting's growing on me a little bit as I get better and better at it. Um, but I always liked hitting range balls more than I did working on short game. Hmm. Um, so I would, one thing I remember is I was, I was sick one day and, my dad took me out to the golf course and I was like, man, I, I don't want to be here. I'm not feeling well. I was probably 12, 13. Um, and I started hitting balls and I felt, I felt a little better. Um, and I actually felt better as I kept hitting. Um, so that's, that's one of my, that's one of my memories um, growing up. And I think I got hooked on it just cause I had a lot of friends at the golf course. Um, and they were all, most of them were better than me up until like I was 15. Um, there were some really good players at my course um, and they kind of, it made me want to get better. So it, it kind of grew my love for golf. Okay. You grew up and I mean, I still think you play out of Atlanta athletic club. Is that right? Yes, sir. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, um, I actually grew up a little bit in Atlanta as well and uh, had some good buddies that were members out there. I remember, um, they used to do this thing on Thursdays actually where we could go out there and juniors could play for certain rates if you weren't a member. And so I used to play out there with one of my buddies, Knox Martin, um, okay. who I've actually had on the podcast before he played his college golf at West Georgia. And um, yeah, I loved uh, both courses, Riverside and Highlands. Um, yeah. Great, great facilities out there, obviously, but a lot of good players out there. Um, a lot of good competition. Um it's interesting when you talk about, you know, I used to really love hitting range balls and, um, but now you're really, you know, I, I don't know if you say you're more into putting, but maybe you just understand the, the importance of short game and putting a little bit more kind of as your game and has developed and, uh, you know, your maturity in the game has developed too. But can you talk about that a little bit? Like what flipped that switch for you? I mean, you enjoyed hitting balls and, you know, getting out there and, and, and beating them around, but, um, you know, when did you start latching on a little bit more to the short game and kind of talk to us a little bit about the difference between those? Um, yeah. Um, short game is kind of still, I, I mean, I like short game. I like every aspect of golf. Um, but I feel like I can win a golf tournament, uh, just by hitting it well. Um, and I've showed myself I can do that a few times. Um, but I mean, short game is very important. Um, I'm seeing it more and more the harder the courses get. Um, if you can chip and putt well, it can, it can keep you in tournaments that when you don't have your best weeks. Um, and I've seen that playing a lot of difficult courses this summer. I played Crooked Stick and Bandit Dunes, and those are pretty demanding golf courses, and I definitely need my short game there. Um, but it's funny, it's funny you talk about um, short game compared to ball striking 
my coach asked me about – it was probably a year and a half, about, about a year ago. Um, and he said he, – he was, he was giving a lesson to a, a young junior, and he said um, – he said, 40, how, uh, how, how important is short game to you? I was like, well, it's not very important to me because I've won <laughs> two tournaments just by hitting it well. Um, and then um, he was kind of like, that is not what I wanted you to say. <laughs> um, yeah. But I was like, I hit, my coach's name is Chris Moore. Um, I was like, Chris, I'm serious. I've, I've beaten people by hitting a seven iron at the flag over and over, and they feel like they can't do anything about it. Um, but, I mean, like I said, I've, I've – I've played the harder courses this summer um, and I've, I've had chipping contests with my brother um, with people who are very good chippers and it makes me really angry when I lose. So that's, that's kind of my motivation for, for short game right now. It could change. Um, but uh, I really hate losing in chipping contests and putting contests. Um, okay. So, I mean, as, if I can get it as good as possible, then I feel like there's no one who can beat me when I, even when I hit it poorly. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's always such an interesting topic to talk about because I feel like I feel like as a golfer, like when you start, you know, obviously you want to become a good ball striker and you want to be able to get the ball around the course and stuff like that. But and I feel like as your game matures and you develop a little bit more, you try to develop more of a well-rounded game and you kind of talk about, you know, your short game keeping you in certain, you know, tournaments or rounds, uh, maybe on your, you know, not as great of ball striking days. Do you have any specific examples of that that you can recall? Um, let me think. I have some where I didn't chip and putt well and it cost me. Um, okay. But I don't have any examples of I've won a golf tournament by hitting a specific short game shot. Um, actually, actually, I guess, I guess I do have a few of those. Um, okay. Yeah, actually, I actually have two where I've, I've, my short game has helped me out a lot. Um, one of them came in 2018 October um, at the Junior All-Star Invitational at Reynolds. It was an AJGA event. Um, mm-hmm. And I I had uh, made a six on a reachable par five on my 17th hole, which was my second to last hole of the tournament. And I didn't know where I stood um, in terms of the leaderboard, but I knew that um, I needed to have – probably a good hole to get top five or top 10 um, just by where I was starting the day. Yeah. Um, on 18. And so I, uh, I hit two great shots. I hit a great drive and then a great second shot that came up short of the green. Um, and I was like, I'm going to chip this in and I chipped it in and it got me, uh, it, it got me top 10 and I got into a few events um, just because of that chip in there. Um, yeah. And it was my first, it, it was one of my, it was my first top 10 in invitational. Um, so that was a big, it was a, it really helped my momentum going forward. Um, just because of that one chip. Yeah. Um, yeah, you then, finished in, T9 in there, the, right? And you, yeah, yeah, I did. You won your tournament before that, which was an all-star event as well. Yes, sir. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What, uh, uh and then, what other event were you going to talk about? In, uh, yeah. In, in Texas, uh, this year. 2020 in February, I, uh, I'd played, I'd hit the ball amazing all week. Um, it was actually, it, it's crazy how similar these situations are. Um, the, the one in 
2018 October and then the one in 2020 February. Um, but I had made – I hit um, – let's see, 17 was a par five, reachable par five. And I hit, like, the best shot of my life over the green and made a six from there. So it, it took me – it took me four to get down from the green. Yeah. And then on 18, uh, it's a really tough hole. I short-sided myself to the right of the green. Um, and I didn't know exactly where I stood, but um, I was ranked like 30, no, like 42 at the time on Rolex. Okay. And this is February. And so there's a big tournament called the Thunderbird in April. Oh, yeah. And um, I kind of figured I needed to get top 10 in order to get into that um, or, in, or in order to have a shot at getting into that. And I didn't know where I stood on the leaderboard, but I short-sided myself on 18 and I chipped it in just like it um, in 2018. And it got me into the Thunderbird. I think I was the last guy into that tournament. It got canceled this year, but it was still cool to get into it. Right. <laughs> so that's where, that's where the short game saved me. It didn't win a golf tournament, but it, uh, it kept me in the top 10. Yeah. And what are, what were the examples that you're talking about that it cost you? Um, let me think. Uh, abandoned Dunes for sure in the U.S. Amateur. Yeah. Um, I mean, I which you started out amazing. with a stellar start, right? I mean, you're you're T five. <laughs> you know, I think sixty eight, sixty nine, tied for yeah. fifth in stroke play. Lost your first match, but I mean, that's a that's a big deal. Um, you know, to make it through stroke play. I mean, it's a it's a stiff field out there, obviously. Yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you earned it. I mean, tell us a little bit about that experience. Yeah, uh, it was a really cool experience. I mean, I was one of like 10 juniors there, uh, junior golfers there. So, I mean, being with all my, it, it was, they were some good friends too. So being with all of them was really cool. Um, and being one of the two or three, I think, juniors that made match play. I think it was me and Kelly Chin that made match hey, play. Um, and Michael being maybe. one of those two. Yeah, did Mike? Did or Michael I guess maybe he's. Play? Oh yeah, Michael went to what quarterfinals? I think, right? I don't know. I don't. Thor Bjornsson. Oh, Thor Bjornsson. Yeah. Oh yeah, I yeah. forgot about him. Yeah, I was thinking Michael Brennan. Oh, oh, oh sorry. Um, yeah, there was yeah, there was a couple of you guys that made it through. I mean, that's that's a big deal. That's tough to do. I mean, you got some of those guys that you know high level college players and you know good amateurs around the country. I mean, to finish where you did in stroke play. Um, is definitely a big deal, but talk to us a little bit more about just the short game out there abandoned. Yeah. Uh, well, I lost the first six holes in my match. Um, so that was pretty cool. Um, but I think I had a, I had a chip on hole five that I remember very vividly. Um, it was probably the easiest chip shot you can imagine down grain grass uh, into an uphill green with 20 feet of green to work with uh, into the wind too. So it was, I mean, it was just as easy as it can get. And I was yeah. four down through four. And I hit it like 12 feet by. And it was it was a big shot for me just because, I mean, he had a he had a 20-footer for par. And if I tied that hole, I would have felt a lot better going forward in the match. Um, and I actually got it back to, I think, three, three down through 10. Um, and, I mean, there's always going to be shots you want to get back, but – um, that was that was one example where I feel like if I slowed down and focused on my short game a little bit more, then I could have gone a little bit further in the tournament. Yeah. Um, well, you've obviously had a lot of good success. I mean, 
you know, especially as of late. I mean, I think you finished uh, in your top in your, I'm sorry, in your last six AJGA tournaments, you finished in the top 10 and you won two of them. Um, <laughs> you know, you had a nice showing, obviously, at um, at the USAM. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, I guess I would call it, I don't know if you call it bounce back or, or how you would term this, but, um, you know, you, you win at Sedgefield, um, you play in the North-South, you take a top 10 in the Georgia Amateur, and then you finish 100 in the Western Am, and obviously not your best showing. Um, but yeah. then you have, you know, you bounce back and you finish T5 in stroke play for the USAM and you go win the junior players. I'm just really interested. And I think that I think something that would really help this audience of young players and maybe even some parents that are listening is just trying to understand your mindset a little bit when, you know, you have a tournament like the Western Am this year that's just like completely out of left field and not really how you've been playing. It just doesn't really stack up compared to everything else that you've accomplished, you know, in recent times, like how do you move through that? How do you have a short memory when it comes to the Western AM and just kind of keep pushing forward to make sure that you're bringing your best stuff the next time you go out? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. I'm, I'm excited you noticed that. Um, Cause that's one that honestly, um, it's funny you say that. I really don't think about that one in the state I am hardly ever. Um, I I don't know why. I guess it's because I've had so much success in every event other than, I mean, the, the state I am, I got ninth. Um, but I've yeah. had success other than in every event other than those two um, or what's felt like it. And the state I am field wasn't amazing. Um, and I actually – it was my home course. So I uh, – I, I figured that I'd have a good chance to win. Mm-hmm. And um, it kind of – it was one of those where I didn't make as many aggressive swings as I'd like to. And I felt like I literally I, – I mean, I made two doubles and a triple. and Or two triple – no, sorry. Two triples and three doubles. Okay. Um, in the, on over three days. So yeah. it was one of those where I got top ten and I played terrible. Um, and I was like, well, I mean, if I can get a top 10 versus everyone, a lot of amateurs in Georgia, then I'm doing something right. Um, sure. So then I, I had that going to Western Am. Um, and I, I was kind of I was like half disappointed in how I played at the state am. But uh, I guess half relieved that I still got top 10 and it, it didn't it didn't kill me. Yeah. And then Western Am, um, I actually played pretty well, I'd say. I just, I don't know. It's kind of one of those that's that's weird to think about because I don't think about it often. Just because I got a hundredth, you don't. I don't really want to remember those. Sure. Um. So I, I kind of, I kind of choose not to. But yeah. Um. I, I actually played well. I don't, I don't really understand how I got one hundredth place because I feel like I, <laughs> I feel like I played really well. The, the only thing I can think of is that was a really deep field. Um. And there were For a lot sure. of guys there. There, there was a lot of guys there who played well. Um. I mean. I don't know. It's, it's kind of one of those that's, that's funny to think about. Cause I played well. Uh, I did, I didn't score well, obviously I shot yeah. six over, but I didn't feel like on that golf course, I think it was like 7,500 yards. Um, very difficult. I didn't feel like six over was 100th place. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, yeah, and for sure. And I definitely don't bring it up cause I want you to dwell on it, but it is something that, 
you know, I think it's a topic that a lot of junior players and, and especially a lot of parents in my experience, um, you know, I think everybody wants their child to, you know, continue to improve and to play well and to, you know, be in the hunt every time they tee it up. But at the same time, you got to realize that even players like yourself that have a lot of success, you're not bulletproof. And so, you know, there's just going to be those tournaments where you tee it up and it just doesn't go your way and you just got to kind of swallow it and move on to the next one, but, you know, have a short memory about it. Right. Yeah. I think uh, if there was, if there were two things I could leave people with about um, playing well or playing poorly, it'd be um, if you, if you play well in an event and then in the future, you're going into another event, say a week, two weeks later, um, think I, I got momentum. I've been playing well. Um, and I know how good my game is. And if you play poorly in an event, uh, two weeks before the one you're playing in, um, then be like, all right. One thing I think is I'm due to play well. Um, like it's, I've worked hard enough. Um, my game is usually good enough. I, I should play well. Um, And if I don't, then I don't, um, and I go from there. But, um, yeah, that's that's kind of one thing that I think I do a good job of is uh, not dwelling on the past too much, um, but but thinking about it enough to where it can help me. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a super important thing to do, but it's it's an easy thing to say, and it's a really difficult thing to do. So, I mean, is there is yeah. there any little things that like any triggers or anything specifically that? help you get to that place mentally that would be helpful for, you know, people to just kind of understand a little bit better. Yeah. Um, I think that um, if you can stay positive on a day-to-day basis about everything, golf or basketball, whatever, whatever activity you're doing, um, whatever you want to pursue, if you can stay positive every time the word golf uh, comes up or every time you're on a golf course, stay as positive as you can, um, then, I think it'll, it'll kind of snowball and you'll have nothing but positivity. Um, there, there are going to be negative thoughts, but um, those positive thoughts will, will push the negative thoughts out. I think um, if you, if you just let the positivity come through, then um, you'll be, you'll be thinking like, all right, I got, mo- I got momentum going into this event or I'm due to have a great event. Yeah. Well, I think that's a really good way to articulate it and, kind of what I hear when you say it that way is, you know, I want to put myself in a position where I can suffocate out the bad stuff. Like I don't, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to dwell on it. I just want to move on. Uh, yeah. But that takes preparation and work, right. To give yourself mm-hmm. the confidence to be able to leave that one in the past so that you can move on to the next. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um let's talk a little bit about your playing and practice routine. So um, obviously you've had a lot of good success. Uh, we've talked a little bit about, you know, kind of your progression in terms of, um, you know, your ball striking and, you know, that being a really important thing to you and you having the confidence that if you're, you know, striking the ball, well, you're going to win tournaments. And then also coming around a little bit on the short game and understanding that, you know, there are times that it's, you know, keeping you in the, in the hunt. And there's times that, you know, it could maybe potentially cost you. So with all that kind of being said, what's your typical flow? Like, you know, what are you doing in terms of, you know, your practice sessions um, and, and your playing sessions, whether it just be, you know, going out to play for, you know, quote unquote practice or going out to play in practice rounds. 
Um, talk to us kind of a little, a little bit about, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, on a day-to-day basis for me, um, this is just how I, how I operate. Uh, my game is very different than I'm sure everybody else. Um, their short game might be better than mine. Their ball striking might be better than mine, uh, vice versa. But for me, it's, um, it's like, uh, for ball striking, I like to, uh, I like to just, uh, I, I basically just like to whack balls sometimes. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it has gotten me in trouble a few times, but it, that's just with my swing. I can fix that in two days. Um, and it's fun. Um, but there's also, I'd say most of the time I'm working on my swing. Um, and then when my swing feels really good, I like to, I like to work the ball both ways, um, on the range. And basically I like to have competitions, uh, see how many fairways you can hit, see how big of a hook you can hit, see how low of a ball you can hit, see if you can hit, see if you can sky it on command. Um, just, I mean, anything that'll get you thinking differently, um, get you working the ball, seeing different ball flights. That's one thing that my coach believes in, uh, very strongly. And, uh, it's something that if, if your creativity is working, uh, even when you're playing poorly, then it'll be working amazingly when you're playing well. Hmm. Really interesting. Um, yeah, that's a really interesting point. I mean, golf is an artistry, right? Like you got to be an artist when you're out there on the golf course. Have you ever seen the the movie Seven Days in Utopia? Um, I think I saw it when I was pretty little. So there's a guy. I've actually brought this up on another podcast. I can't remember who I was talking to, but there's a scene in the movie. Um, basically, the the high level of the movie is uh, this kid's a you know aspiring professional golfer. He's trying to make it, and his truck breaks down. He ends up on this farm for I can't remember how long, but. Uh, Robert Duvall is the farmer and he takes him out and basically teaches him all these things about golf through other ways, like other methods. Like one of the things that he teaches him is the kid's supposed to meet him out there and uh, they've got, he's got like these painting easels set up and the kid shows up late and he says, all right, here's the shot that you have to hit. And it's basically a tree in front of him. If you can picture that. And then the greens on the other side of the tree and it's maybe like a, 30 yard pitch shot and he says you know i want you to visualize this and then i want you to paint it and then i want you to hit it and so um it's just interesting that you bring up like the artistry of the game and it kind of makes me start thinking about just course management and thinking your way around the golf course can you kind of go into that a little bit for us yeah um so i mean everybody's going to be different there i played with guys who are like for me for example i know that I'm a great putter, um, but my true passion in golf is ball striking. And people have told me for, I think, two years now, like, or my coach has told me, like, when I hit the golf ball, it's it's different than a lot of other people that he sees. Um, the way I can curve it out of my backswing um, either way. And he, uh, he tells me that a lot. Um, and it's going to be different for everybody, what they're good at um, and what comes really naturally to them. Um but for me, it's always ball striking. And whenever I'm playing well, there's, especially off the tee, there's certain holes where I think I'm going to hit a stinger fade here with the driver, um, or I'm going to hit a high draw that just is a sweeping hook. Um, and there's certain holes like that, that I think the more you can play and visually see what works, um, the more you can figure out what, what suits your game best, um, whether it's, you like to make 90 footers in big situations. Um, and you like to, you like to hit your three footers with 
crazy firm speed. Um, and for me, I like to hit a stinger driver sometimes. Yep. There's stuff like that that if you, I feel like everybody is going to have something that they can do really, really well and comes naturally to them. Mm-hmm. And the more they can focus on that, I think the more their confidence can grow in that area um, and they can always have something to rely on. Like for me at Sedgefield um, back in June, this I had a, like a really low stinger driver shot. Um, and I remember hitting it on 18 uh, every single day. And it's something that people, people see it. And I think they, they get a little scared. Um, like I get scared sometimes. I'm like, <laughs> oh my gosh, how did I do that? Right. Um, but for some people it's making every everything inside 12 feet um or uh not missing a flop shot and um there's stuff like that that i feel like if you're if you're creative on the golf course and on the range then you can really figure out um what parts of your game you like the best and come naturally to you and you can figure out who you are as a golfer and i think it'll ultimately build your confidence yeah i agree with you i had this conversation with coach bratton at uh Oklahoma state. And, um, I think one of the questions I had him on the show, I don't know, a couple months ago, and we were talking about, obviously they've had a lot of success as a program, uh, you know, pumping out some guys on tour that have had some good success there. And so one of the things I was asking him was like, you know, what makes, what makes the guys that are really competitive in the college golf space, successful on tour. And that was definitely one of the things that he leaned into was, you know, the guys that make it out there are the ones that know what they're good at and they go all in on it. And, um, and so that's really interesting that you bring that up because that mentality has obviously worked, you know, when it comes to some of the guys that are having a lot of success out there professionally. And, you know, we, Coach Bratton and I talked about this with like Matthew Wolf specifically. I mean, nobody would ever have like a junior player rock up and just, I'm going to teach you to swing like Matthew Wolf, right? But, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's certain attributes and, you know, comfort, comfort level with him and how he swings and different stuff like that that, you know, he just, he just goes all in on it and he's him and he plays his game. And I think that definitely sets uh, the guys that have a lot of success apart from, you know, those that kind of struggle to figure out, you know, if they're going to make it or how they're going to make it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And if you have something to, to lean on when the road gets tough on uh, U.S. Kids events or AJGAs or the Corn Ferry Tour. If you have something to lean on and something that you know when it's good, it's really good and can beat anybody, then I think it can, it can really help you. Yeah, I agree with that big time. Um, you definitely had some very consistent results. Um, sounds like obviously a result of just how you're approaching the game. So um, – you talk a little bit about just your, you know, your playing and practice habits and creating competition and those types of things. Let's talk about sibling rivalry. Um, <laughs> Cause I think that's important. And obviously in your case, um, you know, twin brother, Max, also a really good player committed to go play golf at Georgia. You're going to UNC. Uh, talk to us a little bit about your guys relationship and, you know, if you want to call it a sibling rivalry, fine. I guess I'm just doing that to spice it up a little bit. I don't know really what the dynamic is there, but talk to us about that relationship. Um, yeah, it is a sibling rivalry. I'd say definitely <laughs> on the golf course. Um, you know, he, he, uh, he's, he's supportive of me. He's probably more supportive of me than I am of him. 
I don't do a good enough job of that sometimes um, just because I'm so competitive. Um, but we, we really hate to compete against each other, um, but it makes us better. So I guess we, we, we're, whenever we, uh, we go out to play, I think it's kind of like, do I really want to play this guy? Um, but we do because we, we want to beat the other one so bad. Um, yeah. Uh, we, don't, uh, we don't really talk all that much about uh, anything really. It's more of just we kind of go about our business, uh, try to beat the other one, get mad when we lose to the other one. Maybe <laughs> maybe I'll say a few things to him if I lose or if I win, something like that. But it's never really too – I mean, the emotions are heightened for sure just because he's my brother and I hate losing to him. Um, but it's never anything like a, a fist fight or anything like that. So it's good. Sure. Yeah. Do you guys, <laughs> do you guys play and practice together a lot? Or, I mean, what is that like? Cause I, I see sometimes we're like, um, like the quarter sisters, for example, like they used to really do a lot of stuff together. I know some of their, I know a couple of the people that they train with and, you know, we've talked about this a little bit, like they used to like do everything, you know, golf training together, fitness training together. And then they kind of like separated a little bit and wanted to do their own things and they still got a great relationship um so what's what's that like for you guys um yeah we don't practice together uh we never really I mean we never really play each other one-on-one on on, like the chipping putting green on the range uh any any like competitions like that we mainly just uh I guess we play on the course a good bit together um not as much as we used to I don't think I don't know why that is but um we we definitely we definitely make each other better um, on the course, especially, um, and our games contrast, uh, pretty, pretty, they're pretty different, I'd say. So he's a really good putter. I think my putting is really good right now. Um, it's, it's more, it's streakier than his, um, but he's always been a really good, a really, really good putter. Um, and I've, I think I've been a better ball striker, uh, at least that's how it's been for the last two years. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the relationship is, it's kind of like, we're really competitive. We, uh, we hate, we hate losing to each other, you know, um, just as any siblings would. Yeah, for sure. Well, you guys stand on opposite sides of the ball too, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> got to have something to do with it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit about your recruiting process. I think that's one of the, one of the things that, you know, junior players are always, you know, kind of just, I, I think worried about, I mean, I, I think it's a, it's a super competitive environment. Um, you know, there's a lot of really good golf schools out there, but there's also a lot of, a ton of options. I mean, there's over a thousand schools out there on the men's side, um, you know, across the divisions for, you know, players to find their spot at. So um, I'm just curious about, you know, what was your recruiting process like and, you know, what played into your decision? So like what kind of things were you looking for in a school? You know, did you visit multiple schools, you know, who was after you heavy and, you know, maybe just weren't interested or, you know, you don't have to give specific names and stuff like that if you don't want to, but I'm just curious how this whole process went for you. Yeah. Um, I mean, my process is going to be basically, it's going to be different from everybody else's um, just because I have a brother and we were being recruited by all the same schools at the exact same time. Um, Okay. So it was kind of, it was kind of weird in that aspect, but, to start off just, just with me, um, just on my recruiting process, it's, um, it kind of, let's see, the first school that came to talk to me, the first big school, I'd say that came to talk to me, um, that was in August of 
2018. Um, so, and then I couldn't talk to coaches then because right. the rules had changed. So I, I don't think I could talk to, to anybody. Um, or at least I never, I never did talk to anybody. So yeah, the first phone call I had w- with the coach was June 15th, 2019. Um, and my brother, I had just come off a win at an AJGA. It's called the Vaughn Taylor. Um, that was early June of 2019. And my brother had just come off come off of a top five finish at the Wyndham Invitational in 2019. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like the day before. So we kind of – and we were two of the – we were basically – I think we were the two the two highest ranked kids that weren't committed for 2021. Um, so there were, there were a lot of schools that came after us, um, came after me um, and him together. Um, and it was kind of one of those things that – I know a lot of other kids feel pressure to commit um, to commit early for some reason. But for me, it was, it was one of those things where, you know, I, I never really felt pressure um, from, from anything to commit early or I, I could have waited till now. Um, yeah. I, it was just one of those things where I, I don't think it's meant to have pressure. Um, I think the, the more you put pressure on it, the more it's going to, it's going to hurt you. And uh, it definitely, it definitely will help your golf game. Um, but it was one of those things where I, I wanted to take it slow and there was absolutely no time frame as to when I, when I was going to commit, uh, what uh, there was, I, I had in mind a few schools I was going to talk to, um, but I was mainly willing to talk to, to everybody. Okay. What, um, uh, what things were you looking for in those conversations? Um, I really, so I had probably nine months to think about what I wanted in a school. And what, my first responses when a coach asked me that, uh, college coach was, I don't really know. <laughs> so yeah, I uh, I didn't really I didn't really think about it a whole lot what I wanted in school, um, but I think it was one of those things where you try to find the right fit. Um, at least for my process, it was more of trying to find the right fit. Um, and I guess some of the things that go into that are a coach that you see eye to eye with for sure. Um, and a coach that's, that has a good relationship with their players. Cause I saw schools that the coach, the player to coach relationship was, was very different than other schools. Um, and it's kind of, it kind of depends on what you want, but for me, it was, I want my coach to be a friend. Um, and somebody I can, cause I like to talk to the coaches about everything like girl problems, family problems um, just because I, I saw it as somebody that's really knowledgeable and is always going to be there. Um, sure. So I wanted someone that was, that was going to be there for me. Um, and I wanted to have a really good relationship with them. Um, and that's something that I actually figured out as the recruiting process went on. So um, like the UNC coaches, they're, they're amazing at that. Uh, Andrew DiBetetto and Matt Clark, they, they do a great job of uh, acting like a friend to their players and, when their when their players get out of order, um, out of line, then they'll step in and be like, "This needs to improve," um, or "You need yeah. to do this better," um, something like that. But it was it was something that they were, they were always really good at is talking to me, and I could tell them how I feel about certain things, whether it's golf or something I'm struggling with, stress, school, um, something like that, and they could they could help me with it basically. Um, yeah, and that's that's that was probably the biggest thing for me was a, a great relationship with the coach. Cause 
that's the guy that's going to be there. I mean, he can hover on you when he wants to. Um, he can watch what you're doing. Um, and you want to have a good relationship with him. And you want somebody that you can trust and somebody that trusts you. Yeah. yeah that's a good point. It almost feels like a, uh, a big brother or father figure type relationship. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, anything else like geographic locations or size of the school or anything academically that played into it for you? Uh, academics. I mean, academics was mainly something my mom cared about. I was like, mom, listen, I'm, I'm going to school to play golf. Like I'm not here to be a scholar. And she was like, Oh, but sweetie, you can, you get such a great education. I was like, okay, we'll see where I, we'll see what, what happens. Um, but academics was something that came in a little bit later for me in the recruiting process. I, something that I actually ended up caring about that I thought I wouldn't. Um, yeah. It's, it's the people I, I saw it as like the people you're around on a day-to-day basis um, and the people who go to the same schools that you go to, you're going to, you're going to feed off of them. They're going to rub off of you. Um, so it's, it was kind of something I wanted to be around smart people. Um, and that's something I saw later in the recruiting process I, I didn't even know that that was something that I wanted but um yeah academics was just because they were at UNC they're, they're smart people obviously um and there's there's not going to be too many people who you're like what is this what is this guy or girl doing like why, sure. why is he doing that why is he there are going to be some of those but I mean it's it's not going to be like crazy <laughs> I don't know I don't know like uh not doing something that's doing something that's not intelligent and could really, really get them in serious trouble. There aren't going to be too many of those. Um, I believe at least at UNC. Yeah. And then yeah. Um, also something, I mean, geographically the, I didn't want something in like, I, I, I didn't think my mom didn't want something in California. I don't think just cause that was a long way to fly uh, everything over. Um, there were a few schools that were, I mean, I kind of wanted to stay in the South, South or Southeast um, somewhere in there just cause it was, it was a drive. Um, it wasn't going to be a flight. Um, and then, uh, facilities, uh, yeah, facilities played into it. Um, all the facilities that I saw were really nice. Um, the schools that I visited, uh, always, all of them did a great job of keeping their facilities nice and making sure they have the best of the best for their players. Um, and then the teammates too was a big thing for me. There's, there's a lot that goes into a college decision. Um, and I think that's why a lot of kids get overwhelmed um, is because they're making such a big decision. Um, and it's, it's kind of a life decision. And um, it's one of those things that there's, there's, if you're playing golf, there's academics, teammates, coaches, facilities, where is it? Um, yeah. How good are they? There's, there's so many things um, that play into it. And it's a lot to think about, honestly, at 16, 17 years old. Um, but it's one of those things that I kind of told myself I'm not going to make a bad decision um, if I take it slow. And there, there were really no wrong choices. All the all the colleges are colleges for a reason. I mean, they're, they're all still in business because they're good schools. Um, and that was something that kind of reassured me was I'm not going to pick a bad school. Anywhere I go is, is going to be a good time. Uh, it's going to be a good golf program, good academics. Uh, I'm going to get an education either way. Yeah. What advice would you give to some of those other just young players that are, you know, maybe in the thick of it right now and trying to figure out, you know, where the best fit for them is, or maybe some kids that, Hey, 
I think a big, um, not necessarily misconception, but maybe there's a little bit of a heightened focus sometimes with like really young kids, like to your point where like they feel this pressure to like commit and, you know, commit early and those types of things, um, you know, your eighth graders and ninth graders and stuff like that. So, I mean, what kind of advice would you give to those kids out there? Um, I think the biggest thing I could say is that um, everybody's recruiting process is going to be different. So you're going to find things that help you. Um, like my story about recruiting might help you um, a little bit. You might, you might draw things from that, that you say, okay, that's similar to my recruiting process. Um, and then you're going to, ha- uh, you're going to see things that I say that other people say that are like, wait a minute, I don't want, I don't want any part of that. My, my views don't match up with that. I don't want to commit at this time. Um, yeah. I didn't talk to schools like that. I don't want that. Um, and that's something that I think if you if you really just think about what you want, um, what what your family wants, obviously, um, but what you want, um, and, and stay true to what what you got yourself into, um, like, and I guess just just know what you want, um, really. And nobody's recruiting process is going to be the same as yours. So, yeah. Um, if you just stick with yours, then I mean that's the best decision you're going to make. Yeah, for sure. Um, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about role models. I want to kind of move towards wrapping up, but I'm just curious. I mean, are there any role models that you've had, um, you know, as a young up and coming player, whether it be personal relationships or just people that you're looking out, you know, looking up to out there on social media, on tour, you know, different stuff like that. Who's played a role in kind of helping shape your outlook? Um, I don't really have any like one, one person that's shaped me the most um i think there's been a lot of people um i've had a lot of experiences that have that have made me um who i am so a lot of role models i guess um and there's there's certain things that i take from certain experiences events um and people like my there's there's four coaches at my course and there's something about every single one of them that i like and something about every single one of them that i dislike um, and that's something that I try to remind myself of because sometimes I feel like a lot of people try to, m- try to mimic their life after someone else. Um, like if I say, I want to be like Jack Nicholas, um, obviously I want to do some of the things that Jack Nicholas does, but I don't want to be Jack Nicholas, um, mm-hmm. because that's something that's like setting limits for myself. Um, so I mean, role model, role models is something that I've never really, it's not like I've thought about it and I'm like, okay, I love everything this guy does. Um, that's just not, that's, that's not how it's going to be. Um, that's not even how it is for yourself. You're not going to like everything about what you do. Uh, and you're going to like some things that you do and you're, it's, it's basically the same for everybody. Um, and I feel like the more you can, the more you can really not try to, at least this is, this is from my perspective. Um, the more I can try to focus on, myself um and helping others focus on myself while helping others at the same time and find their self um the more i can uh improve my life um improve my golf game and there's there's always going to be people that uh can help you with that and you can you can look up to them but at the end of the day it's kind of one thing I believe is it's kind of like you have yourself um, and you have people to help you, but at the end of the day, there's always going to be yourself. Um, So the more you can get from other people and take it to yourself, 
um, then the better off you're going to be. Yeah. I mean, you say it's, uh, it's just my perspective, but I love your perspective. I think that's really an awesome way to look at it because, um, yeah, man, God, that's a really interesting way to put it. You know, it's like, you're almost trying to cherry pick, right? Like the, yeah. the, the things that, you know, stand out to you that other people either in golf or just around you in your life or just people that you're paying attention to things that they do well and elements of them that you want to emulate. But at the same time, you know, just kind of pulling and piecing together different things uh, to, you know, make them unique in combination to what is you. Um, Yeah. I think that's a really interesting way to look at it. Can you go a little bit deeper into helping others find themselves? I think that's a really interesting statement that you make about uh, that just being a focus for you. And I'm just curious what you mean by it. Yeah. Um, I mean, one thing that I've seen over my almost 18 years in existence, which isn't very long, um, is the more you can talk to somebody um, and talk to different people and see their perspectives, their points of view, um, what they do well, what they do poorly, how negative they are, how positive they are, um, the more you can help them and yourself. Because um, while you're doing something for them by talking to them, sharing your perspectives, um, they're also doing it for you. So um, you're kind of helping each other in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, like the more you talk to them, the more you can gather things that, that they do well, they do poorly and you can be like, okay, well, I'll make sure to not do that. Um, and it, it's kind of, it seems like a stressful way to put it sometimes. Um, just cause you, you, you can look at others and be like, well, he's doing that. Well, I need to do that. Well, you don't have to, you can choose. Um, so yeah. it's, it's something that I might, I might've, it might come off as a little stressful or life can be coming at you like full force if you're trying to do only that. Um, but I think, I think the more you do it, it, it can really help you. Yeah, I agree. I really like your perspective there. Um, we haven't talked a ton about parents. You've mentioned your mom. Um, but is there any advice that you would give any parents that are listening right now about just how to be the best junior golf parent that they can be? Yes. Um, yeah, a thousand percent. This is something I think about a lot because um, my dad has been amazing in all that he's done in junior golf for me. Um, and he's never – he's basically growing up, um, I don't really – there was never like if I played poorly, it was never like why'd you play poorly? It was like that's okay. Um, it, he was always very supportive and he never really – talk to me about a bad day or a bad shot unless I came to him about it. Mm. Um, and I think the more uh, later on, uh, so that was kind of early. And then later on, like now, um, as I've matured a little bit, he's, um, he's kind of been, let's see, he, uh, he, when he asks me um, about something, sometimes I'll be like, no dad, like that's, that's not right. Um, Whereas I see a lot of like if he asked me about a certain shot, like I, I if I if I hit a, a a duck hook into the trees on one hole, he'll be like, "Why'd you duck hook it?" Or like he'll say like, <laughs> he doesn't say that. He's like he's like what he might say like in a very positive tone, "What happened on 15? And yeah. I'll be like, "Oh, I just I just hit a bad shot." Um, and he'll be like, "Oh, okay." Like he he never and that's that's very rare that he'll ask me about that. 
um, he'll usually bring up something positive, like um, how did or you, you made a great putt on on 17 or something like that, or that was a or I'll be like, Dad, did you see my chip in on the last hole? And he'll be like, No, and I'll be like, Are you kidding me? Like, really? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, thanks for thanks for flying me out here, but I chipped in on the 54th hole. <laughs> no, um, but I, I think he's always been very supportive, and he's he's really let my let me do my own thing. He's never, it's never been I'm practicing for him. It's been I'm practicing because I love the game. Um, yeah. I'm not practicing because he wants me to get better. I'm practicing because I want to get better. And I think in my early years, he did a great job of uh, just letting me go and not not hovering on the golf course, not hovering when I practice. Because at the end of the day, if the more you can have – it's different for a father-son relationship or a, a father-daughter, anything. It's different for a parent relationship. Um, but um, the, more, the more you can have the kid figuring out their golf game and figuring out their, their strong suits, their weaknesses, um, the more they can focus on them without having the burden of thinking about their parent with them uh, or with those weaknesses. So if my dad will be like, buddy, your putting sucks today. He never says that. But um, hypothetically, if he were yeah. to say, buddy, your putting sucks today, I could tell him, uh, like, <laughs> I know my putting better – better than you do. And I might be like, yeah, it did suck today. Or I'll be like, no, it didn't suck today. You just had a few bad angles, I guess. Um, yeah. And I feel like there's a lot of kids out there that at least I know a few relationships um, from kid to parent that are, that are like that, um, that are like um, their, the parent will be like, you didn't, you didn't chip it well today or what happened on this hole. And the kid will be afraid to, to say anything that the parent won't like. Um, which just makes completely, it makes, it doesn't make sense at all. Cause yeah. I mean, if the, if the, if the kid is the one playing the game, trying to figure out their game, knowing the game, then um, the parent really, really can't even come close to knowing their game as well as the kid does. And I'm sure it's different. There are going to be a lot of parents that, that know their kid's game. Um, but the more you can, I feel like my dad's going to great golf great job of this the more you can let the kid figure out their game um without you there then the more they can they can tell you what went wrong um and they'll they'll lean on you if they need you and it won't be like you're kind of you're trying to the parents trying to get into their information um or anything like that and they'll really figure out their golf game better i feel like in the long run yeah i agree and i mean especially when you're out there playing in a tournament right i mean outside of like your super early years where you're playing in U.S. kids events and you've got, you know, parent caddies that are out there who can actually help you on the course. I mean, you're out there teeing it up in an AJGA event and it starts to go sideways. You got to figure it out on your own while you're out there. And if you've got a parent as a crutch when you're outside of that environment, then what are you going to do when you're in the fire? Right. And how do you actually manage it yourself? Yeah. And I feel like if, if you have your, your parent out there or whoever it is uh, that's supposed to be supporting you and you hit a bad shot and they have a negative reaction, um, then it's only going to double the pressure on you because you feel, okay, I need a, a good shot for them. And it, I feel like it's, there's really not going to be a whole lot of positives that come from that. Yeah. Um, one last question about parents. And I don't know, you may or may not be able to answer this because it sounds like you've got a really good um, relationship with your parents, but what if there's a kid that's in a situation that um, 
you know, it's, it's a stressful situation for them with their parent and they you know, are kind of being hovered over and um, they just, I don't know. Do you have any advice for that, that, that kid on how they can maybe handle that situation or have that conversation? I mean, obviously I think by nature, um, you know, most kids want to please their parents and be respectful and, you know, those types of things. But at the same time, obviously you want to stick up for yourself and um, just be transparent, I think in the relationship. So, I mean, is there any advice that you would give those parents or is that something you want to stay away from? I don't really know. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I mean, um, I've been around it. Uh, I have a friend who has a parent like that. Um, and I've been around it for three or four years. I used to be his best friend. Um, and we're, we're still pretty close now. Um, but he has a dad that's, um, that's not good with golf. He doesn't, he doesn't know the game and he thinks he does know the game. Um, and it's really just hurting his kid. And I mean, there's going to be, I'm sure there's going to be parents and kids listening to this that, um, that think that might think, um, he has a great relationship with his, with his dad. Um, he doesn't know my kid's relationship with me. Um, yes, that's true. Um, but I've seen it from both sides. I've seen it from my side. I have a great parent. Um, I have great parents who, um, they support me in golf, especially that's kind of all I, all I really want from them. Um, and I've seen it the other way where, uh, some of my friends have dads who hover, um, and it's just really, it's not a good relationship. And I mean, the thing that I've told my friend to do, or he's talked to me about it and he said, um, he's been like, uh, why does my dad feel the need to come watch me? Um, and I'll be like, why don't you just tell him? And he'll be like, you don't understand. I can't. Um, I, I really, I don't know what the exact relationship is like. Um, but I think if, if the kid or the parent can man up and the kid can be like, look, dad, like, this is my go- look, mom or dad. Um, this is my golf game. Um, I'm trying to see how well I can play it and just kind of be upfront with them. I, it, I mean, that's, a, that's easier said than done. That's a very hard thing to do, but I feel like if that's step one, uh, for the kid and if the parent it's it's hard for the parent I know um, I'm not a parent but I've seen parents that they just can't stay away from golf um, and their kid and what he's doing what he or she is doing um, but if the parent could maybe be like look I've been I'm going to try to ease off the gas a little bit let you do your own thing um, that might be something that's completely foreign to a lot of parents um, and I mean it, it's easier said than done but that would be my best advice is just be upfront with the person. Um, let them know. Let the parent or kid know um, what they're going through, what they're thinking about, their thought processes, um, their experiences that have been negative or positive. And um, I think just go from there. It's not going to be the same with everybody, obviously. Um, and I don't know any other relationships. Um, but maybe just be as upfront as possible and as honest as you can. Yeah. Hmm. Are you good on time? I kind of want to go into that a little yeah. bit more. I'm yeah, just curious. I got, I got all I the think time in the world. It's obvious that you've got a really good head on your shoulders and you're very mature. And I, and that's not to say like, I didn't think you would be, but I, I just, obviously we've never had an opportunity to have a conversation like this. And I don't know. I mean, what are some of the different ways that kids can do that? Like to your point, it's very difficult to have that conversation sometimes. And, you know, and I don't know if it's like, Hey, writing a letter or writing a, you know, I, 
I don't know. I don't know what the right way to do that is. I mean, I know that I had some experiences when I was younger myself. My dad and I talked about it when I had him on uh, on a podcast episode um, where, you know, at a real young age, he, I wouldn't say necessarily hovered. And I've got great parents, too. Um, but, you know, my dad was a high level golfer. My dad played his college golf at Ole Miss, um, you know, really strong player, wanted the best for me and wanted to teach me to do it. But I was the first kid, maybe hadn't been through it. So, you know, a little bit of trial and error there. Um, and I kind of got frustrated with him being, you know, on top of me sometimes. And at one point I just kind of looked at him and said, like, I don't want to play golf with you anymore. Um, and, and that was obviously devastating to my dad because he had no intentions of pushing me away from the game. He was trying to help me get better. Um, but I don't know. Can, can you go into that a little bit further? And I don't know if I'm kind of all over the place for you there, no. but I'm trying to just – you know, no, yeah, dig into it a good. little deeper. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I have a friend who um, this person was very upfront with their parent when they told them that playing, playing golf, uh, practicing with them is miserable and they have made it miserable for that person. Um, and this, this, uh, this person was very, very upfront when he or she said that. And um, it, it was, it was devastating, like you said, to, to uh, this person's father. Um, but I'm sure – I know they've, they've gotten past it. Um, and golf, golf isn't in the picture anymore. Um, but that's because I feel like the, the parent kind of ruined the, ruined the golfing relationship there um, with, yeah. from the, with the kid um, in golf. And then I have other friends who um, they, haven't, they haven't said anything to their dad. Um, and – I mean, I see it from, from an outside perspective. Um, and a lot of, a lot of times that's what somebody needs. Um, but like I said, it's, it's a lot easier said than done than to go up to your parent and be like, look, I, I don't like, like you've made golf miserable for me. It's not, it's not fun. It's a job to impress you. Um, it, you're not being supportive. And anytime I think of golf, I think of you and how negative you are towards me. Um, and that's not going to be the case for everybody. Yeah. Um, but that is that's how it is for a lot of people I know um and I think if if they can if they can just muscle up the strength to to go in and really be upfront with that person um because just talk just have a have a sit down talk with their parent um be like and tell them everything that's on their mind I think that'll that'll show the parent how much the kid really cares about about their their improvement in golf um and I, I think that it could be a really, a really good, a really good discussion to have um, if they just be as upfront as possible. Um, and I, I don't want to say pour their heart out to them, to the parent, but um, I think if, if, if they can do that, then um, it can show the parent how much they really care. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, it kind of makes me. You know, I think if you're somebody that's listening to this, whether you're whatever side you're on, if you're a parent or a player, and David, I don't know if you would agree with this or not, but I think you would, where I think it makes sense maybe to sit down and approach it as a conversation, even if you were in a situation where, you know, as a kid, you felt like, um, you know, your parent was hovering over you and, you know, you weren't having any fun and, you know, you were starting to not like the game of golf anymore. Or as a parent where you felt like, you know, 
my kid's not getting any better and, you know, he's not doing the things that I want him to do or, you know, anything like that from a parent's perspective. I think if you're on either side of the equation, maybe it's a good idea to just sit down and approach it with none of those things as talking points and simply just sit down and maybe have a conversation about goals. Hey, what do you want out of this game? Um, You know, what are you trying to accomplish? And from the kid's side, you know, maybe it's, Hey mom or dad, I just want to sit down with you and just kind of talk about, you know, my golf game and, you know, what I'm focused on and what I'm trying to accomplish and those types of things. And maybe that just helps kind of level the playing field a little bit where both sides just understand a little bit more about what's important to the other. And then they're able to kind of build the dynamic of that parent child relationship in the game of golf through that conversation. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's a, that's a great idea for sure. Hmm. Okay. Um, well, man, you've given me a lot of your time and I really appreciate it. But one thing I do at the end of the show that, um, you know, that I like to do is just kind of flip the script a little bit and toss the baton over to the guest, uh, to just fire a question or two back at me. So I don't know if, you know, through our conversation, anything has, you know, jumped out at you about me, or if you just want my opinion on something specifically, I think we've had a really good conversation today just about, you know, some different topics that I think are really going to help a lot of people. But is there anything that kind of sticks out to you that, um, you know, I could answer about, you know, junior golf or amateur golf or just anything in general around that topic? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you've been asked this question before, but what are your golf experiences? I don't know. Did you play golf growing up? I did. Yeah. Um, I mean, okay. I pretty much had a golf club in my hand, um, from the, from the moment I could stand. Um, yeah. Yeah. My dad, like I said, my dad, uh, my dad actually grew up on a little nine hole golf course in Northeast Ohio. Um, you know, worked really hard, was a you know good competitive junior and, and high school golfer and, uh, went to play his college golf at Ole Miss university of Mississippi. And, um, you know, won a tournament in college there and, you know, had a had a nice career and, uh, for me, yeah, golf was introduced to my and you know into my life at a really young age. Um, I loved playing the game. Fun fact: I actually started out playing the game lefty, and uh, when I was oh, wow. probably I don't even know how old I was. I was I don't think I was quite like ten years old yet, maybe like eight or nine years old. Uh, my family used to play like every Sunday after church. We'd go out and play nine holes as a family, and I forgot like my eight iron one time, and I, so I used my sister's um, right-handed eight iron and, uh, stuck it. And my dad was kind of like, huh, okay. And you know, he's a right-handed <laughs> player. So he thought, you know, maybe it'd be a little easier to teach him if he was right-handed. So he just kind of like in- encouraged, Hey, why don't you try to, you know, hit a couple more shots with these clubs. And so eventually I switched, uh, later that year. So, um, I ended up, you know, playing right-handed and, uh, let's see, I, I played, uh, I grew up partially in Atlanta and so I played some junior golf there and then I relocated back to Northeast Ohio, actually um, finished high school up there and played high school golf and then uh, went to Eastern Kentucky to walk on. And um, I just made a decision when I got there that um, it wasn't something that I wanted to focus on. Sometimes I regret that decision. I just, uh, you know, everybody has opportunities to make choices and I made a choice. And, um, yeah, at that time I thought it was the right thing to do. And, um, so yeah, that's kind of how my, what my golf experience has been like. I'm still, you know, fairly competitive player. I'm a, 
three handicap right now. So, you know, decent, but you know, nothing earth shattering. So yeah, Yeah. that's kind of, kind of how my golf journey has been. Is there uh is there anything that you think about, um, say in the last two years, um, that you experienced on the golf course or as a result of being on the golf course with somebody that you met there? Um, or I guess as a result of playing golf, um, any experiences that you think have really helped or have really been significant to you to help your growth as a growth as a person um, and, and stuff like that? Oh boy, that's a really good question. Um, it's kind of a, the golf a, I know course. It's, a, it's a hard one to answer, but like, is there is there a shot? Is there a, a shot, a tournament, a moment, a conversation you had with somebody that was like, um, I want to remember that forever, and you have you you did remember it for a while, or you have remembered it? Yeah, I, I don't. <laughs> Uh, in the last couple years, I would say on the golf course, probably not. I don't have anything that cr- like, you know, crazy, like, boom. Yeah. That's the moment. Like it just jumps out at me. Uh, yeah. But the, the one moment that I will never forget um, as long as I live is after I graduated college in 2009, uh, my dad called me up and said, Hey, I'm driving, I'm driving down through Kentucky. I'm going to pick you up and we're going to play Augusta national. And, um, so it was kind of like my college graduation present. Uh, if you want to call it that, I, my dad, my dad had a, uh, business, um, a client of his that was a member at Augusta and, um, my dad had played there before with him and he, my dad, you know, mustered up the courage to ask him, Hey, I don't know if this could ever happen, but my son just graduated college and, you know, they were good, they were good friends. And he said, you know, if we could ever take him to play there, I would, I would love it and be indebted to you forever. And he said, absolutely. Just set it up. So, um, I'll definitely never forget that experience for sure. So yeah, it was a, that's, that's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, it was, it was a, uh, it was a full experience or there for, I guess a day and a half and, um, stayed at the Firestone cabin on number 10. And, uh, yeah, I mean, nothing, anybody that, you know, loves the game of golf, um, just knows how special of a time that is and, and could be for somebody. So yeah, it was definitely something that I will never forget. And something that I think is, you know, definitely shaped my dad and I's relationship. And, you know, we've obviously got a lot of, um, experience playing together, but, uh, it's one, I, one, I think back to quite a bit. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So, um, Anything else? No, that's uh, that's all I got. All right, for we'll, questions. We'll, okay, <laughs> good deal. Well, man, I really appreciate it. I um, I really this has one been one of my favorite conversations. I think with uh, you know, the insight that you have, and you know, just the way that you articulate um, you know, your advice and your experience, and you know, what your path has been, I think is something that's out there. So I really appreciate you taking the time to do it. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I, uh, it's been amazing. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Um, what's next for you? What's, uh, what's on the horizon for the rest of 2020? Obviously it's kind of a weird year that we're going through right now, but, um, you'll graduate, I guess in the spring and then, uh, off to Chapel Hill and, uh, next fall. So what do you got coming up? Um, I got a busy October. I have three, three tournaments in October. Um, and then, I got an AJGA Invitational and then one in South Carolina called the Bobby Chapman. 
um, and then an amateur event in Georgia. Um, and then I have some more, uh, one more AJGA. And then it's, I think it's amateur events for December to February. And then a few more events. Uh, I don't know. I don't actually don't know anything about March or any of that, but I am, yeah. I think I'm playing the U S the U S amateur or the U S amateur four ball with Kelly Chin in May. Oh, nice. Yeah. All right. Good deal. Well, good luck in those. And, um, Good luck in the rest of your senior year. I'll certainly be following along. If there's anything that I can ever do to help you, uh, don't hesitate to reach out. Yeah, that sounds good. Thank you. All right, man. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Well, that wraps up episode 53 of Junior Golf Keys with our guest this week, the current uh, number one Rolex AJGA ranked player and UNC commit David Ford. Uh, really appreciate you, David, for jumping on the podcast and sharing some value with this audience. And uh, thank you all for tuning in and listening to this episode with David. I hope that you took away some value from it. And if you did, please share it. Uh, please leave a review. Also, make sure that you subscribe so you don't miss out on some of the exciting guests that we've got coming up. And I hope you join me next week for another episode of Junior Golf Keys.